0: i'm really scared i'm gonna forget about the tea i just made and that it's gonna be cold by the time we finish talking about this and then i'll be really sad (laughs) but it's too hot to drink right now
1: i'll make motions like this oh like with your pinky up (laughs) i'll try to catch the
0: catch the drift
1: Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 16, Bolthole.
0: <laughs> Something about that sounds inappropriate.
1: You're 12. <laughs> so, yeah, essentially. <laughs> the epigraph of this chapter is discussing the wit again, old blood in general, and how the old legends and tales say that a wit user who is bonded to an animal eventually takes on the properties or the habits of that animal that they're bonded to which we see is kind of true but it takes a and the same is true for the opposite as well that the animal takes on a lot of the characteristics of the human because there's a you know a blending of the two beings and it takes a lot of years and intense closeness between the bond for that to happen
0: Right. But it is explained that this doesn't mean that somebody who's bonded to an eagle would grow wings. Right. It's just mannerisms. Kind of like when you spend a lot of time with a good friend and you start picking up their phrases or do something in a similar way to them.
1: And we see examples of this with... Holly and Black Rolf as well, because Holly would be perched on her chair in the corner, just kind of watching Fitz and Black Rolf by themselves, same as right. a as a bird would do. And Black Rolf was described as lumbering, and you know all, all those different kind of adjectives of just gruff, growly,
0: yeah, grumbling, and,
1: yeah. <laughs> and same with Fitz, he he's described as you know not meeting the eyes of somebody. Because, you know, he likes dogs and wolves and that's rude to do. Right. No canine behavior, things like that.
0: I do think it's interesting that it is strongly expressed that you have to be spending a lot of time with your wit partner to get these characteristics. But I don't know if that's 100% true because Fitz has been dog-like his whole life. And maybe that's just because his whole life he's had wit partners. I don't know. but Or because of how young he was when he first bonded true not really clear but i do think that from what we see with Fitz, at least they do have a little bit of characteristics of their animals early on
1: i can see that being a result of him bonding early and that's maybe another reason why old blood does not let their kids bond young.
0: Yeah, that's because
1: fair. they don't have the chance to form a human personality yet and they're <laughs> in Im- like
0: impressionable?
1: Yes, they're very impressionable and they are impressed upon by that animal that they might bond. Right. And those characteristics are taken on at an early age and hard to get rid of. We pick back up with them waking up in the morning after staying overnight in that old sheep barn. Nick wakes them up very early in the morning Before to get going again. Before it's even
0: light outside.
1: Yep. Nick agreed with Burek's idea of when mornings began. So they uh, are getting all roused up and getting ready to move on towards the river again. Right.
0: And as this is happening, there is a child crying from being let up so or gotten up so early. And this makes fits feel sad he like is thinking about molly and his child and this is the first that night eyes has been made aware that fits as a child and night eyes is worried wondering you know who's going to get them meat and yeah. protect them
1: what's this my mate bore a cub far away immediate concern but who will hunt meat to feed them should we not return to her part of the pack watches over her of course i should have known that that one knows the meaning of pack, no matter how he denies it. All is well, then.
0: So Fitz is getting ready for the day. He is wishing that he had the blitheness of Night Eyes to be able to just push away the thought of, well, that's taken care of. I don't need to think about it right now.
1: And that he could just accept it and move Wait. on.
0: And he wishes it was him, not Burek, who was rocking a crying baby in the middle of the night, even though he's pretty annoyed at this crying child right now, wishing that the mom could get it to shut up. (laughs) So maybe more he likes the idea than what it would actually take.
1: I'm not a parent, but I imagine... That is the prevailing thought for all parents, that they like the idea more than the actual action of it.
0: That's fair. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm sure maybe when it's your kid, it's a little bit different. You have a little bit yes. more compassion. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know. I feel bad
0: for any parent who has to deal with screaming children. That's, like, really hard. And I think it's it's hard work to raise a kid. It is. Yes. Yeah. Very brave.
1: So as they're packing up, he notices that Kettle has... Uh, bad arthritis in her hands. And we've mentioned that last episode as well, right and suggests a remedy that Chade had told him to get stung with nettles and that it actually alleviated some of the pain. She snaps back at him, like, you know, try to find me some in this <laughs> this <laughs> snow, and I'll try anything, you know. But they seem to be warming up to one another and having a little bit more conversation because she offers him some dried apple, and you know, they're they're getting along
0: right. She is crotchety and crabby, but she likes him. Yes, <laughs> she likes him. So and Fitz doesn't take it too personally when she gets all crabby with him.
1: <laughs> and so they're getting ready together and she thanks him and gives him what she thinks is a genuine compliment by saying your mother trained you well, Tom, when he helps her into the cart. And he still winces at the remark and is just thinking like, oh, that's not what I want to hear, really. But yeah. from from an outsider's point of view, she's warming up to him. Right. And
0: <laughs> to be fair, Patience did teach him a lot of this kind of respect. So did Burek and Chade. Yeah. That's but I just think, not
1: what his mind goes to. <laughs> no,
0: of course it isn't. He doesn't think he has the right to see Patience as his mother, I think, personally. <laughs>
1: So he notices that Starling takes her place next to Nick at the beginning of the procession to talk to him. And Fitz just kind of gives his mind over to his task of driving Kettle's cart and follows along.
0: He kind of hopes that Nick will be somebody more likely to cause something song-worthy. So Starling will leave him alone. He convinces himself because this would make things easier for him. But I think he's still a little bit jealous or frustrated with the situation.
1: I think a little bit of both. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. (laughs) And so Kettle and him strike up some small talk along the way. And Fitz changes the subject off of the topic of him and what he's thinking about to the prophet that Kettle had mentioned and that religion that she was following before. Right. He asks, tell me of this seer of yours... He is not mine," she said with asperity. Then she relented. It is probably a fool's errand I go on. He whom I seek may not even be there. I highlighted that just for the fun of it, you know, <laughs> fool's errand. Uh huh. I kept silent. I was beginning to find it find it was the question she answered best. Do you know what's in this cart, Tom? Books, scrolls, and writings ones I've collected for years. I have gathered them in many lands, learned to read many tongues and letterings. In so many places I found mention over and over again of the white prophets. They appear at the junctures of history and shape it. Some say they come to set history on its proper course. There are those who believe, Tom, that all of time is a circle, all of history a great wheel, turning inexorably. Just as seasons come and go, just as the moon moves endlessly through her cycle, so does time. The same wars are fought, the same plagues descend, the same folk, good or evil, rise to power. Humanity is trapped on that wheel, doomed endlessly to repeat the mistakes we have already made, unless someone comes to change it. Far to the south, there is a land where they believe that for every generation, somewhere in the world, there is a white prophet— He or she comes, and if what is taught is heeded, the cycle of times moves into a better course. If it is ignored, all time is pushed into a darker path. I felt it prudent to read all of that out loud because it is the basis of a lot of the conversations in Fitz and the Fool trilogy. Right. Uh, That's the... No, the Tawny Man trilogy, excuse tawny me. Ma- yeah, Fitz and yes. the is a final. Yes, the Tawny Man trilogy when the Fool is trying to talk to Fitz about what he is and what he does and all right. of the meaning. And this is where we first get our first glimpses of what the Fool is, where he comes from, and what they believe in or what they're doing.
0: Right. And I think it's also the most clear description we get of the Whites. Um Maybe throughout unbiased... all of the series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's it's really interesting to hear them described as the people who are helping steer the wheel of time in the right direction. Yes. Um, Kettle also says that each time one succeeds, it is easier for the next. And when an entire cycle passes in which every prophet succeeds, time itself will finally stop.
1: Fitz, of course, says, so the world will end, and that's what they're looking for. And she's like, no, not the end of the world, the end of time. To free humanity of time, for time is the great enslaver of us all. Time that ages us, that time that limits us. Think how often you have wished to have more time for something, or wished you could go back a day and do something differently. When humanity is freed of time, old wrongs can be corrected before they were done.
0: It's really interesting, and... It makes me wonder if this is also what the fool believes or if this is more of kind of a fairy tale fairy taleization of what it is that they're actually doing.
1: That's what I was thinking. I thought like the first part of that is a very good description of what the whites are doing or their intended purpose is right. to do. However, that second part seems more like the religion that cropped up around the White Prophets. Yeah. Of like, this will bring the end of time and, you know, no more bad mistakes. and Right. I-, I can see specifically how Kettle latched onto this because she did, you know, kill her sister in a rage who was in her coterie, and I'm sure she regrets, you know. Right. Well, she does regret a lot of things and speaks about her later in this book. And I can see how, like, she latched onto this, like, is there a way to reverse this kind of thing? And she got led to this religion.
0: Right. But I do think there's reason to believe that this isn't necessarily true. It's a lot like how people talk about the skill or the wit. There are nuggets of truth in there, but it doesn't, we have no way of knowing which ones are true and which ones are fabricated. Right. Or exaggerations of what's true. And, I do think it's apt to say that whenever a prophet is successful, the next one has an easier time. But I think the the truth is in the opposite as well, because with the current white prophets that are in charge, every time they are successful in leading us off the path to the one that they have created, it makes it easier for the next one to do more damage. Right. And so... I think it's a dangerous game to play. Yeah. And it is really interesting because she talks about how only one prophet is born per, per generation. And this is interesting to me because we know that at least the purebred whites live for hundreds, if not thousands of years. We don't know for sure how long, but Prilcrop crop is like 500 somewhere in that range yeah
1: probably older
0: and so I don't necessarily know if it's true that only one is born every generation or if one is born every generation that isn't saved sort of thing we do know that they are scarce now they are running out of pure whites that are born in the wild
1: yeah but it's I feel like yeah. that that particular nugget is one of the falsehoods or right. that has cropped up as like it happens, you know, on a regular basis, but yeah. what the fool explains is that it's kind of random happenstance. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's part of the thing that just is like random. You know? Right. And
0: I and that's was that's why
1: that's why the whites at uh Claris are trying to breed them.
0: Right. And I was thinking That it's really interesting, the thought that it's per generation, because we know when a white succeeds, they can go like live long enough to help the next generation if they're called to a certain catalyst. Fitz is one of Fool's catalysts, but he also goes to um, the family in the Rainwilds. He helps.
1: Yeah, uh, the Vestrits.
0: Yes, the Vestrits. Selden, I believe, is the next catalyst.
1: Uh, he's looking for Wintro.
0: Wintro, not Selden. Yes. Seldon's the youngest.
1: But he latches on to Althea instead. Well, I guess it's Amber. So she latches on to Althea instead. Yes. And at the end is... Well, we'll discuss it when we get to that trilogy, obviously. But at the right. end of it, she's like, did I did I, attach to the wrong person? Did I steer it darker right. at the end of this story kind of thing?
0: Right. But we do know... That they get darker every time they're successful. And so I wonder if this idea that, like, a new white every generation is born is based off of the whites who are have ill intent. Because they do not change color, but still have the ability to see visions of the future. Maybe So yeah. maybe they're Could appearing be. multiple times. Could be. I don't know.
1: So Fitz is very... Um... thoughtful about this and he's trying to wrap his head around it because he's not the quickest thinker with abstract concepts and he's like dwelling on this you know time all stops and I'm sure he's thinking on the repercussions of isn't there something that you wish you could go back in time and redo or you know mistakes you could correct or anything like that so he continues to question her a little bit like are you alone in this like don't the other people believe in this kind of thing and she's like very few people want to go and find a white prophet because they believe that it will interfere with time and it will push us all into a dark timeline if you do that so he's kind of tunes everything out and is just thinking about this and their talk together lapses for a while and they continue on following nick's procession towards the river and he is riding along trying to think about these things keeping his mind on his task not focusing too much on the future and night eyes comes out of the brush and trots next to him for a while and all of a sudden after a while kettle catches sight of night eyes leans forward looks past Fitz, sat back again and said there's a wolf beside our cart He's my dog, though he has some wolf blood in him, I admitted casually. Kettle leaned forward to look at him again. She glanced up at my placid expression. Then she sat back. So they herd sheep with wolves and buck these days. She nodded and said no more about him. (laughs) Yeah. A bit observant, you know.
0: (laughs) A little. I wonder if Kettle knows
1: who Fitz is at this point. we talked about this, I think, was it two episodes ago? Yes, or last episode. I don't remember which one it was, but it's really hard to say still, like even with these hints and stuff.
0: It's possible that she has some vague awareness of who he is because of the rumors going around about Fitzchivalry chivalry and his description, right. especially he's known as the wolf beast man. And here is a man from Buck who has a wolf. I don't think it's an, that big of a stretch now to think maybe i don't know that she would remember his ancestors enough to think she looks like him although i think that's what i said before but i think
1: she's she was like exiled and has stayed away so yeah it's it's definitely possible that she could like link him to that but it's not a guarantee at this point right But I I think like she's intelligent enough to have an inkling of some sort that this is an interesting person and not a shepherd. Right. Alone.
0: (laughs) But she does kind of take it in stride pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Which I think shows that she does in some ways trust Fitz because she notices that he's pretty calm about it and doesn't raise that much more of a fuss.
1: It's getting colder and colder as they continue on. Fitz notes that the Pilgrims are you know, really huffing and puffing and getting together and, and trying to keep warm. And he can feel himself growing numb and tries to move his toes around in his boots and that sort of thing. As for Kettle, Fitz notes that it probably is torturing her and her poor joints. But she did not complain. But she did seem to grow smaller and smaller within the blanket that she was wrapped in. Right. And I feel that energy right there. Yeah. Uh, it is cold in our apartment right now. We don't have our heat on yet. I just took our air conditioner out because it was like 70s last week. And now it's a little <laughs> bit colder. <laughs> right.
0: It's dropped a little bit up here in Wisconsin. But I think the thing that really feels like cold weather in my opinion is when Fitz says few things are as miserable to confront as constant cold. And that's how I feel. Anytime I have to be outside in the winter, <laughs> <laughs> but they're making, they're making their way,
1: making pretty good time too. Yeah. So they got up before it was light. And it says before darkness, Nick steered off the path, went over a hill and they found themselves in a newly constructed area. Yes. With some houses.
0: Yes. You could not see these houses from the other side of the hill. But once you had rounded the hill, you could see a light in one of the buildings. I think all of them are buried in the ground, half in the ground. Yeah. And
1: where they dug up, they put the, the dirt Embankments around it to keep it even more hidden.
0: Yes. So it is clearly a secretive place, but it is noted that this looks newly constructed Mm -hmm. and it's not something that's been there for a really long time.
1: We get to our namesake of the chapter, Bolt Hole. And this is where Nick's home base is, our new home base is, we kind of learn. So they go down and someone steps out of the barn door a lithe young woman with a mass of red hair piled on her head came storming in fists on her hips she confronted nick who are all these people and why have you brought them here what good is a bolt hole if half the countryside knows of it they have a little conversation here he tries to you know calm her down a bit and uh, she says we don't have enough food to feed all of them and he's like don't worry they paid well they brought their own food let's go and to the house or whatever there right he also
0: kisses her and swings her around and is like having her, his hand resting over his hip. There's Mm. like, he's, this is probably his girlfriend energy going on here. Yes. Or
1: wife, depending on. Or (laughs) wife.
0: Yeah. But it's interesting because he has been spending the past two chapters flirting with Starling a lot. Mm -hmm. So we don't know that anything has gone on between them, but they have been, Pretty close. Enough for Fitz to feel jealous. So I don't know that his girlfriend wife would be happy to learn of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But he also says, I've good tidings for you. Let's go back to your house and talk. And so, he, you know, they lead off and they're kind of. Trapped inside of this barn because all the people are like, oh, it's safer if you stay in the barn for right. tonight. We'll lock you in.
0: They being the pilgrims and Fitz and Kevin right.
1: Starling. Yes. So the uh, the smugglers lock them into the barn. Fitz understands that's just like, oh, the less we know of his bolt hole, the better, right. etc.
0: They do give them a chance to get water, though. Right. Yeah. And Fitz mentions that he... Takes four trips just to fill up the troughs for all the animals, and wonders when he's going to lose the habit of taking care of the animals first.
1: Never fits. It's never. never. <laughs> but I did want to make special note of that saying that Nick says, uh, "I've got I've good tidings for you. Let's go back to your house and talk," because we do know, I believe it's next chapter that Nick does betray them, betray Fitz, I should say, and Kingsguards do meet them like at the river, right. So I, I think that this is the good tidings. Like, hey, we got even more money than just the money that we got from the pilgrims. Right. Here's the deal that's happening.
0: When do you think he does that? Like, before they leave, he tells the guard where to go?
1: I'm not sure. They In, in all of these things, they've kind of kept the, a close eye on all of the pilgrims, and especially Fitz, because when he was outside the barn... During the middle of the night meeting Night Eyes, he kind of got yelled at for straying too far out. So I don't know if they're trying to keep him in and they sent like someone off right? as like a messenger or something. I don't know.
0: I don't know. Fitz doesn't notice anybody leave, but that doesn't mean it yeah. didn't happen. He's not expecting somebody to go. Right. <laughs> I guess right. in this situation.
1: So they settle down. They start to cook food and settle in for the evening. Kettle is complaining at Fitz for for him setting up her her bedding and everything like that. Right. (laughs) She's like, who put you in charge of my bedding? She demanded. As I took a breath to reply, she added, here's tea. If you've a cup to your name, mine's in my bag on the cart. There's some cheese and dried apple there as well. Fetch it for us. There's a good lad. (laughs) (laughs) I love their relationship. It's so funny. It's cute. Starling, of course, is singing for her supper, and that leaves Kettle and Fitz alone again to talk some more, and Kettle is continually prying into Fitz's background, where he's from. Uh, She specifically mentions that is the look of Buck to his face and that his facial features are a little bit familiar. She asks what part he's from, and he replies without thinking, Buckkeep town. She asks who his mother was, and she and he replies, "Sal Flatfish," which confuses Kettle and makes her pry even more because it's like, "Oh, you're from fisher folk, but you have an uncle in the mountains, and you're a shepherd, so Fitz has to quickly spin a yarn and try to <laughs> fit all of that into his story
0: right. So his story is that his father was a shepherd, and that he they have both businesses going at the same time, which makes them a pretty penny, and the uncle was a wanderer at a young age and decided to settle in the mountains
1: (laughs) kettle says i see and they taught you courtly courtesies to old women
0: (laughs) (laughs) also i want to mention that sal flatfish is a real person that Fitz picked that's not just a name he pulled out of his hat he knows sal and apparently sal has A lot of children. And so he's betting that if she were to know who Sal was, probably Sal has at least one kid named Tom. Yep. (laughs) So so that's his hope in this, which I thought was kind of funny.
1: Fitz tries to pry into her background again and say and asks, what part of Buck did you say your family came from? I didn't say, she replied with a small smile. And that's the end of that because Starling comes in. Right. (laughs) Keeping it secret there, Kettle. <laughs> she's smart. Mm-hmm.
0: But she's teaching Fitz You don't always have to answer questions just because they're asked.
1: True, true.
0: Although I don't know if he ever learns that lesson. I don't think so. <laughs> but Starling has arrived and she brings gossip with her. Nick has said they're going to cross the river in two days and then tells about... A couple that's bickering down by the hearth because some water got in their bread and they don't, they're wasting time arguing who did what. And also that it's a waste of food to feed their son who is sick. Uh, it's anyway.
1: it a different, oh, different crying child.
0: Okay, sorry. So there's yep. one couple bickering about the food that got wet. Yes. And another couple bickering.
1: So two couples are. By the harsh squabbling and bickering.
0: Okay, so there are two couples.
1: Yes, but none of those, I think, is the kids. Parents. Parents. Although it could be. It doesn't explicitly say. But it's not the person who is complaining about the child's kid.
0: Okay, that we know of.
1: Yeah, it's um. so Kettle explains that it's Rally, who is the man who is tight-fisted and conniving, and he does not want to give food to Selk, who has been sick off and on since they left Chalced. And uh, Kettle thinks that the mothers brought their child, uh, brought that kid, Selk, in hopes that Edith shrine can heal him. And that tight-fisted man is complaining about feeding food to a sick child. Which... For... Because it's a waste of food until he stops being sick because I guess he's throwing up and stuff. Right. Which is horrible.
0: Uh, Yeah, not great. (laughs) Like, who cares about the sick kid? Like, well, maybe care a little bit more.
1: Right, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, Kettle does say, a more conniving, tight-fisted man I never met. (laughs) So Fair. Yeah. Just about describes him.
0: Yeah. But the mother of Selk, the sick child... Apparently had a lot of gold at one point, which is why she has no problem squandering it for a cure.
1: Right. Because as we know, it's expensive to uh, be smuggled across with Nick. Right. And it started off a round of gossiping between the two, just trying to match all the stories, I guess, and everything. And Fitz is left to his own devices, just thinking again in his head about whatever he wants to think about, which happens very often. And specifically this time, he's listening with half an ear, dozing, and saying to himself, two days to the river. And how much longer to the mountains? I broke in to ask Starling if she knew. Nick says there's no way to tell. It all depends on the weather, but he told me not to worry about it. She starts playing her harp, and kids come in.
0: I wonder if he's telling her not to worry about it because he knows they're not going to the mountain. And so it doesn't matter... What happens next? He doesn't have a lie prepared.
1: Yeah, because if I remember correctly, Starling is also wanted and set up because she is the companion of Fitz. Also, I was
0: thinking about how she talked about the earring, Fitz Chivalry's Chivalry's Chivalry's. earring, and the earring was mentioned in the description of Fitz. Yeah. So maybe they made contact that night.
1: Could be. And then in the morning, just like, hey.
0: Yeah, come on. <laughs> Which also feels like kind of a lot to go through the steps of like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's make this, tre- uh, this trek all the way out to the river just to have you hunted down here.
1: But he also is bringing a lot of people over across. And as Fitz notes, and I don't think he's wrong with his in, uh, his instincts here, is that... A smuggler's record and his honor has to be pristine, otherwise, no one will trust him. So, he told Fitz that he'd get him across the river and he promised all the other people and took their money. So, <laughs> might as well bring him up to I don't know wherever he was going, right?
0: I don't know. Interesting. I just keep thinking about the timeline here. Yeah, when did this happen? I need to know.
1: <laughs> it, it would make sense to call them in that night from town. Right. But if he is that concerned with his honor and his promise, then it makes more sense to bring them because we know Burl and then Carid was being sent up there too, I think, to yes. the like the mountain slopes.
0: Right. But also why would you give up the secret of your location of where you smuggle things across the water? Right.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It just
0: none of it makes sense to me,
1: but that doesn't mean it I think we, we might be missing some details that are in our next chapter that we'll... Right.
0: Obviously, we'll get there.
1: About. Yeah. <laughs> so these two children come in, and obviously they're familiar to Starling and to Kettle. Starling starts to sing some more, and Fitz cannot bear to be around children. Right. And he excuses himself, because he's just thinking of Molly and his child. So he lays down, and eventually... All was dark and still when Starling came to find him in the night. She laid down next to him, wiggled under his blankets, and they started talking again. Right. She once again asks, how much do you trust Nick? And Fitz says, I told you, not at all. But I think he'll get us to the mountains for his own pride, if nothing else. A smuggler's reputation must be perfect among those who know of it. He'll get us there. And they talk about night eyes.
0: Right. Starling wants to know if Fitz was mad at her earlier. She says that he was staring at her in a kind of serious way. And instead of saying yes or no, he just asks if she has a problem with his wit beast. And she's surprised. She thought that him having the wit was a cruel lie they made up to worsen his reputation, because how could the son of a prince have something like the wit? Yeah. And she says that she describes the wit as sharing your whole life with an animal. And I wonder if she means this in like a different type of connotation
1: it's really hard to tell from text.
0: Right. And Fitz isn't the best at picking up subtleties. Well, in some some areas he is, but when it has to deal with his person, like, personal... But,
1: but we know that a lot of the rumors and the stories and the legends about the old blood and the wit in Buck are tainted because of the piebald prints. And a lot of it's like if you lay with somebody who has the wit, you're laying with the beast kind of thing, and they can turn into an animal. And it's all these exaggerations of that you're no longer a human kind of thing. Right. So I'm sure that's bleeding over and not like... a
0: No, 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 no. But I just mean, I mean, you wouldn't know if you don't know. You've only heard the bad things. Yeah, exactly. And so she's just like, I didn't know you would share your life with an animal. Right. And Fitz replies that... He does. And he explains the relationship as similar to how his relationship is with his king. that
1: Which surprises even him. Right. Yeah. He hadn't put it into that context before either. It is one thing to be willing to die for another. It is another to sacrifice the living of one's life for another. That is what he gives me. The same sort of loyalty I give to my king. I had set myself to thinking. I'd never put our relationship in those terms before. And it's true. It it really is true. Night Eyes does sacrifice a wolf's regular life to be with Fitz. Right. And it's remarked upon a couple times throughout the series of how much Night Eyes is giving up. Yeah. Especially, like, in comparison to Fitz. Definitely. But Night Eyes seems relatively content and happy to be with him, so, like... It's sad, but also it's It's, just a realization of the relationship that they have, the dynamic that they have. Right.
0: And it's a sacrifice that Night Eyes is is willing to make. Yeah, 100%. He has the opportunity to not live this way and chooses to make the sacrifices on his own. I feel comfortable saying that it's a choice that he's making because... I mean, at this point, he's a fully grown wolf. He has lived with other
1: wolves before he we knows. both know who wears the pants in that relationship between yes. Fitz and Night Eyes.
0: <laughs> Night Eyes is in charge all the way. Yeah. As he said, he's used to being in charge. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all of this thought brings out a loose-lipped Fitz to the conversation and night eyes asks do you care for no one else no starling asks yes you- starling asks do you care for no one else and fitz says molly molly she's at home back in buck she's my wife starling sat up in the blankets letting a draft of cold air i tugged at them vainly as she asked a wife you have a wife and a child a little girl despite the cold and the darkness i grinned at these words my daughter i said quietly simply to hear how the words sounded. I have a wife and a daughter at home. She flung herself down in the darkness beside me. No, you don't. She denied it with an emphatic whisper. I'm a minstrel, Fitz. If the bastard had married, the word would have gone round. In fact, there were rumors you were for Celerity, Duke Brondy's daughter. It was done quietly, I told her. Ah, I see. You're not married at all. You have a woman, is what you're trying to say. The words stung me. Molly is my wife, I said firmly. In every way that matters to me, she is my wife. And in the ways that might matter to her and a child, Starling asked me quietly. And they go through a little conversation here, and Fitz is like, Well, that's going to be remedied, you know. Right. Re- Verity promised me that's I of can thing.
0: marry whoever I want. But I do want to stop quickly to talk about how Starling. Says this in a way that gets through to Fitz. Yeah. What about the way that matters to her? Because I don't think Fitz has ever thought about what matters to Molly. It's not about Molly's feelings, this relationship. It's how Fitz feels towards her and how his love for her is enough to overlook whatever her feelings are
1: because he's just not emotionally mature enough right for that kind of thought at the moment he's never experienced it he's never been you know he's never been forced to confront that right because when molly tried to make him confront that it was during a breakup right (laughs) so he was not in the right (laughs) mental state and also he was in the middle of planning you know trying to get his brother's wife out and his grandfather out alive during a coup right so it it was a little stressful it was a little stressful for him and he's never really had to confront that from a third party looking in not close to the situation bluntly saying like yeah but she's your wife in your head you've been gone for how long what are you to her what does that matter to her what ways Like, is this affecting her?
0: Like she's a real person with feelings and autonomy. So maybe start thinking about it less of what you want and through your lens and like what you're doing for her. And I think it is really important. And because Burek, when given the information just kind of is like, yeah, that's how it is. That's what love is because I think that's how he loved patients. And I don't think it's a necessarily healthy way to view love just in the lens of what it does for you and who it who that person is for you you always have you also should be self reflecting on what you can do for them and i'm glad that he got called out and recognizes the childishness in this digging down of his heels of well it doesn't matter what it looks like to the outside because i know in my heart we're married
1: And all in all, he's feeling relief of speaking all of this out loud that like, I'm going to Verity, he's going to let me marry whoever I want, I go to serve my king to lend whatever aid I may to Ketrican and Verity's heir child, and then to go on to beyond the mountains to find and restore my king, so he may drive the red ships from the six duchies coast and we may know peace again. For a moment, all was silence, save for the slicing wind outside the barn. Then she snorted softly. Do even half of that and I shall have my hero song. I have no desire to be a hero, only to do what I must to be free to live my own life. Poor Fitz, none of us is ever free to do that. You seem very free to me. Do I? To me, it seems as if every step I take carries me deeper into a mire. And the more I struggle, the more firmly I embed myself. "'How is that?' she gave a choked laugh. "'Look about you. Here I am, sleeping in straw and singing for my supper, gambling that there will eventually be a way to cross this river and go on to the mountains. And if I get through all that, have I achieved my goal? No. I still must dangle after you until you do something song-worthy.' "'You really needn't,' I said in some dismay at the prospect.' You could go on your way, making your way as a minstrel. You seem to do well enough at it. Well enough. Well enough for a traveling minstrel. You've heard me sing, Fitz. I have a good enough voice and nimble enough fingers. But I am not extraordinary. And that is what it takes to win a position as keep minstrel. That's assuming there will be any more keeps in five years or so. I have no mind to sing to a red ship audience.
0: Great. So... Fitz isn't the only one with problems.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And also needs to realize that it's not like everybody else is free to live a life that they want the way he seems to think everyone else can. he has always been under this impression that because he is a bastard, he cannot live any life that resembles the one that he wants. But... He ignores all of the people in his life who clearly are just making the best with what they have. Verity isn't free to live the life of a map maker on the countryside like he probably wants to. He has to be king. And Regal isn't free to live the life of a popular king. He has to connive and cheat his way there. Right. Molly wants to just be a candlemaker, but she is saddled with debt and no family to help.
1: And now a child.
0: And now a child. There, there are things in everyone's life that stop them from being completely "quote unquote" free. It's just taking what you have and making the best of that situation and doing what you can with what you're given. That I don't think Fitz ever truly learns to do fully there's always longing in him that maybe somehow things could be better, but also no movement on his part to get to that better. At least not this fits or the next Fitz trilogy fits <laughs> in my opinion, I should say.
1: And so Starling says that she needs to stick by Fitz in order to witness a great event to create a great hero song and be famous enough to live comfortably as she's old because that is the only other way that she will become comfortable and stay at a keep as a minstrel, as if she is famous in some way because she is not good enough to be a keep minstrel. Right. And she also says that I'm sticking by you because great events always seem to happen around you, which Fitz scoffs at. Again, it's that, that self, that lack of self-importance or the, uh, the effort or the events that happen around him or surrounding him. He always downplays his role in it. And I can see where that is completely human, but looking at it from a third party, which Starling lists out here, you know, the, uh, triumph against the red ships at antler Island, Uh, The abdication of the throne by Prince Chivalry when he was, you know, a child. Yes. That surrounded Fitz. Saved Queen Ketrikin from Forged Ones the night she was attacked right before the Vixen Queen's hunt. Rising from the dead, making an attempt on Regal's life right inside Tradeford Hall and then escaping unscathed. Killing half a dozen of his guards single-handedly while manacled. All of those events would make amazing songs. Right. But Fitz is like, I was just surviving and doing stupid things and it worked out. Right. Which is what a hero song is. Yeah. And it's just the perspective that you write it in afterwards.
0: (laughs) Right. Also, I think just doing stupid stuff to survive and get to the next day is kind of what all of us do. But whenever I do stupid stuff just to get to the next day to survive, it doesn't usually mean that I'm doing something amazing that no one else has ever done. It's usually just... Making dinner that night, like
1: <laughs> doing more dishes or yeah, cleaning more than he expected, maybe getting
0: the laundry done early. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fighting any battles. So it's a real downplay of fits. And maybe it's because he's blinded by the perspective of his life being so fantastical that he doesn't realize that other people are very mundane. Yeah. His life is not normal. This no. is the status quo. He is abnormal in every possible way.
1: And yet he still insists at the end of this that he just wants to go home to Molly and his child. Which is true. That is what he wants to do. Right. And Starling tries to commiserate with him and say, yeah, she probably wants that as well. And Fitz is like, oh, probably not. She thinks I'm dead. And Starling has to hesitate and then address Fitz in a probably a very uncomfortable way for her and say like, she thinks you're dead. How can you believe she will be there waiting when you return that she won't find someone else? And And that kind of rocks fits a little bit. Right. He
0: notes, somehow I had never imagined returning home to find she had replaced me with someone else. Stupid. How could I not have foreseen that might happen simply because it was the worst possible thing I could imagine
1: i spoke more to myself than starling i suppose i'd better get word to her send her a message somehow
0: And you know starling hears this and goes okay well how long have you been gone expecting him to say
1: probably a, couple know, a shorter months. time than what he does yeah
0: and he goes "From molly oh a year and she's like fits
1: <laughs> are you kidding me Not just fits. a year. Men, she muttered softly to herself. (laughs) They go off to fight or to travel, and they expect their lives to be waiting for them when they get back. You expect the women to stay behind to keep the fields and raise the children and patch the roof and mind the cow so that when you walk back in the door, you can find your chair still by the fire and hot bread on the table. Yes, and a warm, willing body in your bed still waiting for you. She was beginning to sound angry. How many days have you been gone from her? Well, that's how many days she has had to cope without you. Time doesn't stop for her just because you're gone. How do you think of her? Rocking your baby beside a warm fire? How about this? The baby is inside, crying and untended on the bed, while she's out in the rain and wind, trying to split wood for kindling, because the fire went out while she was walking to and from the mill to get a bit of meal ground. I pushed the image away. No, Burek wouldn't let that happen. In my mind I see her many ways, not just in good times, I defended myself, and she isn't completely alone, a friend of mine is looking after her. Ah, a friend, Starling agreed smoothly, and is he handsome, spirited, and bold enough to seal any woman's heart? I snorted, (laughs) no, he's older, he's stubborn and cranky, but he's also steady and reliable and thoughtful, he always treats women well, politely and kindly, he'll take good care of both her and the child. I smiled to myself and knew the truth of it as I added. He'll kill any man that even looks a threat at them. Steady, kind, and thoughtful. Treats women well. Starling's voice rose with feigned interest. Do you know how rare a man like that is? Tell me who he is. I want him for myself. If your Molly will let him go. And Fitz remembers the day that Molly teased him, saying that he was the best thing to come out of the stable since Birek.
0: Right. So... Starling is bringing up some really good points that Fitz is being unreasonable.
1: A little dose of reality. Yes. A little splash of water that he needs for sure.
0: Why would her life wait for him when she doesn't even know he's alive? That, first of all, horribly rude to make her wait a year knowing he's alive. Right, right. Like, not not good.
1: Even, like, okay, imagine this. (laughs) If she knew he was alive, do you think he would have written? No, (laughs) no, no, maybe once, you know, maybe once, No. maybe twice. There's no way he would have reached out. It just.
0: I don't know, it's. It's not like Fitz would be better to her if she knew he was alive and. So it's bad either way, but like. He expects her to just, yeah, she'll probably be mad when she finds out, but <laughs> she'll take me back. Like, no, Fitz. That's not how life works. You don't. It is not that simple. And especially you have a friend they are taking care of him or her and the child. But he forgets to mention that also the friend thinks he's dead. So. Like
1: life doesn't wait for anybody.
0: No, it doesn't, and it's like really frustrating that Fitz can't get it through his thick skull that he can't just expect everything to work out because he wants it to. Which is so strange because nothing in his life works out because he wants it to.
1: We've we've always talked about this though that he is a romantic at heart and he always thinks you know the best thing will besides his you know severe depression and his elf bark funks and everything like that saying everything right. is going wrong in his life. He still has a generally positive outlook on his future when he has something to look forward to. It's like, this is going to work out perfectly for me. Right?
0: It's yeah, I don't know. But the talk about how Bjork is a catch does, like you said, make him think of the time when Molly is talking about how hot Burek is, but he pushes that thought aside because Molly spent the night in his bed, not Burek's. And so she, he confidently says, no, she loves me, only me. And yes, that might have been true a year ago when,
1: when you were alive. You were alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: But it's just, no, I just, I don't know. It makes me frustrated that he can't grasp even now That it's more serious than that.
1: It's more grief than he wants to deal with, I think, right now or can deal with. So he just kind of pushes it away and Starling takes note of that and goes a little bit easier on him. Right.
0: And she does say, well, you need to get word to her. And Fitz does, to his credit, say, "Okay, I will and starts planning about how once they get to the mountain, he'll work it out with Ketchikan. She'll know some way they'll get word to her that he's alive. But then he also notes that it can't be through Lacey or so Patience. Patience would find yeah. out. And can't be through Jade because <laughs> no how knows how to find it. <laughs> yeah, no. So he's not really sure how to do this unrealistic thing, but he knows he's going to do it. And he's basically almost there. So it's just a few more days. And then he'll get word to Molly. So I guess at least he has resolved to tell her, but also... Like Fitz, come on, man. I don't know. Frustrating.
1: After that talk, Fitz is kind of silent and Starling, you know, kind of pros and says, I didn't mean to upset you. Um, What are you thinking about that sort of thing? And then says, I'm so cold. And Fitz says, me too, but it's colder outside. That doesn't make me the least bit warmer. Hold me. Fitz notes that she smells really good and is wondering, like, how do women always manage to smell nice? Right. (laughs) Probably because they bathe more frequently than you, Wolfman.
0: Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, on that note, Starling says that she can't wait to take a bath soon and then says, not because you're stinky (laughs) or that stinky, which Fitz is a little bit embarrassed about, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) he says thank you I said a bit sourly mind if I go back to sleep now go ahead she put a hand on my hip and added if that's all you can think of to do so Fitz is tempted but he says I told you I'm married I can't and Starling's like and she loves you and you obviously love her but we're the ones who are here and cold if she loves you that much would she begrudge you an added bit of warmth and comfort on such a cold night it was difficult but I forced myself to think about it a bit then smiled to myself in the darkness. She wouldn't just begrudge me, she'd knock my head off my shoulders. Ah, Starling laughed softly into my chest. I see. Gently, she drew back her body away from mine. I longed to reach out and pull her back to me. Perhaps we'd better just go to sleep then. Sleep well, Fitz. So I did, but not right away and not without regrets.
0: I wish that Fitz could get over Molly. I don't think it would be fair to just like move on from Molly and still leave her in the dark that he is alive, not dead. Right. But I wish he would have told her and I wish they could have like broken up in some way I still wish that Fitz got to be a part of his daughter's life I think he truly wants to be yes and I think he would be a great father but I don't necessarily think he needs to be with Molly at this moment and it's hard for me to say as someone who likes Fitz and Molly as a couple but he just so strongly wants any woman who looks at him and I because think because
1: he's so so alone
0: he is and that's fine but I think then maybe he shouldn't be like marrying himself off to people in his head
1: right (laughs) yeah i mean he he definitely has emotional issues right and i mean attachment issues
0: he's stopping himself from going all the way with other women which is good but i just like clearly he doesn't love molly in the way he thinks he does and i don't think that when you are in love with somebody you stop having eyes or that you like You know, stop
1: having any sort of feelings or urges, right?
0: But I think the fact that he has like, he's pretty jealous about Starling being around Nick, and he's regretful that he didn't sleep with her, feels a little bit more than like, oh, it she's cute, and I like, (laughs) given the chance would sleep with her in like a roundabout way, you know, like it's different than the way you think when you're in a committed relationship, and I feel like that is both immaturity on Fitz's part, but also maybe a sign that. The relationship isn't as serious as he's making it out to be, even subconsciously in his own mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, because when at the end of Tony man, when they get back together, they actually go on dates. He courts right. her for a while. She sends letters.
0: Right. And I think that's beautiful. I think yeah,
1: they, they allow their relationship to grow and spend the time that they need. And the way that they've been going, it's just off of, you know, the childhood excitement of something that's like, oh, we have to keep this clandestine, you know? Right,
0: right. So I guess that's how I, like, justify right now being critical of Fitz's love for Molly, but still yeah. wanting them to be a couple. Because I don't... I I don't want Molly to be miserable. I don't think that's fair to wish that upon her at this moment.
1: I think he does love her and she loves him, but he doesn't know what that means.
0: Right. I think he needs to grow up a little. Yeah. And, they, and he does, and that's great. But, like, it just... Reading this is so frustrating of like clearly fits you are not. You should stop. Like you should have stopped saying you're married a long time ago. But like, I don't think even you believe it <laughs> deep down.
1: <laughs> they go to bed and wake up in the morning ready to go on. Nick wakes them all up. And he leads them off to another different trail to continue on and Fitz makes mention that Starling rode beside us, meaning him and Kettle, for part of the morning until Nick sent a man back to ask her if she'd come ride with them. She thanked him cheerily for the invitation and promptly went to join them.
0: Probably because Fitz doesn't talk really that much, and Starling seems like a talker she needs people to converse with.
1: I also think it's to create separation and, like, feel feel wanted... By Nick, like he sent somebody back to ask her up instead of just being like showing up and walking to the front and being like, oh, no, you can walk back there for now or something, you know, Mm -hmm.
0: that's fair. I guess I just thought that she was walking by them because she's friends. And then she's like, man, they don't talk at all. And then somebody's (laughs) like, hey, you want to come talk with us? She's like, yes. Yes, please.
1: (laughs) That could definitely be true.
0: (laughs) Like, oh, yeah. Uh, Fitz was obviously upset earlier. Let me (laughs) let me walk with him. And then
1: she's like, this is boring. (laughs) 100%. 100%. So they continue on into the evening, and they just end up at some tumble-down huts by the riverbank co- and uh, are sent out to collect firewood, at least Fitz is sent out to collect firewood, and get ready for everything.
0: They don't have enough wood to make it through the night if he doesn't do this, yep. just enough to cook food on, yeah. so... With the huts not being super, super sturdy.
1: He's like, we need firewood. Yes.
0: So he is taking it upon himself to help other people per
1: usual. And he meets up with night eyes out there and they have a little um, introspection about the relationship and, and how they've grown a bit. And he notices that when he looks at night eyes, he sometimes saw the wolf first and then the companion second mid says, I think you have finally begun to respect me as I deserve. There was teasing, but also truth in that statement. You're no longer a puppy, that's true. Neither of us are cubs anymore. We've both discovered that on this journey. You no longer think of yourself as a boy at all. I think I made a better boy than I do man, I admitted ruefully to the wolf. Why not wait until you've been at it a bit longer and then decide, he suggested. Which is great advice. It is, and it's really cute. Fitz beats himself up way too easily about things. So much needed balance from night eyes here as they continue on to gather more firewood and night eyes is hunting alongside of him. And
0: right. And I do want to say that I think that this bigger separation fits his feeling might have more to do with the fact that night eyes has been a long away from him for so long. And before this, they had just got done sharing a body and could not separate themselves very well. Right. They were basically one being in two separate bodies. And so I think that coming back together after really getting time to be themselves has helped reset that boundary of this is me and this is where I end and where Night Eyes begins.
1: Yeah, definitely. I earned a little bit more respect on both ends. Right. Right. As I said, they're continuing to look for Firewood and Night Eyes' is, uh, hunting because he doesn't care about wood. Right. But, <laughs> but they get their view of first view of the river as well. Yes.
0: Fitz talks about how it's a little sad that he has grown up, that he's lost the boy that he used to be. But he also remarks that Night Eyes has grown up and that his puppyish curiosity is gone. There's a deer skull in their path and instead of sniffing it thoroughly he gives it one good lick to make sure there's nothing left over and keeps going so night eyes is a grown-up too now they're both adults and it's a little sad that childhood has left both of them
1: but (laughs) but he's much more confident and he's in he's a wolf now yeah
0: he's real
1: he's He's, a real wolf he is real yes Fitz says he found himself watching the river as he follows Night Eyes, and it became more daunting, not less, the more he saw of it. Depth of it, the strength of its current, uh, and the immense snakel rooted logs that swung and turned as the rivers rushed them along. So it's a very violent river, and this is... I guess you can call it foreshadowing for next chapter (laughs) (laughs) when they cross it. But it's just uh, it's a reminder to us readers that this is a dangerous crossing. It's not just an easy little bridge across. They have to have some way to cross it. And we learn it's a pulled raft across. But it is very dangerous because this is a swift and violent river that has washed out countless bridges before. Right. That were always built over the top of it. Fitz grabs out a uh, a rodent that Night Eyes is whirring and snatching in the air and they start to play a little bit. And then he gets yelled at by one of the smugglers to get back to camp with the firewood. Right.
0: Also, <laughs> it's noted that these rodents don't look like mice. They look they're sleeker and look like they would do well in water. Um, Are these muskrats, do you
1: think? I think. Th- yeah, I think so. It says they're rodents and he wasn't sure what they were. They did not look like rats exactly and the sleekness of their coats seemed to indicate they'd be at home in water. Night Eyes says meat doesn't really need a name. But I think muskrats is a good guess for this. I don't think it would be beavers.
0: Maybe a mongoose?
1: Mm, maybe, but I... Th-
0: mongoose feels more ferrety than rodent to yeah, me.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it would be a mongoose personally. I don't know how at home they are in water.
0: I thought they're... Were... I thought mongo mongoose mon-
1: mon- mon- yeah mon- guy,
0: i don't know the mon- plural guy. of
1: mongoose
0: <laughs> i thought that they were water
1: i know based. they they hunt and eat snakes so i don't know if that includes like the water snakes or oh anything. i
0: thought they lived in the water maybe i'm just making that fact up i don't know they could. i, I always thought i don't
1: know to be fair i
0: thought a mongoose for a really long time was a water snake so that's um, why I think, I think they live in the water. Yeah. I have, they're obviously not a snake, so maybe there's nothing to do with the water. Maybe <laughs> my whole life I just believed the wrong thing completely. <laughs> no details
1: were correct. I think muskrat is a, is a good guess, though. Yes. Yeah. And so they get yelled at. He uh, fits, glances about, but could see no reason for the edgy tone to that guard's voice. Nevertheless, he gathered the scattered armload of wood and headed back to the huts. Because the the guard that comes by, the smuggler, says, get some wood and come back now. And I I, I think I highlighted the edgy tone to his voice because I think this is another thing where the guards themselves know from Nick that, hey, we're kind of setting up this guy. And I think they want to keep a close eye on him and not have him wander off.
0: Right. Just in case they lose him.
1: Right. Exactly. So I I think this is like that's the edgy tone. And it's like. They're, they're all on edge because they kind of know who he is, whether or not Nick told them that this is the witted bastard or this is somebody that the guards are looking for and we're trying right. him in kind of thing. Right. So. But he goes back to camp and strikes up a conversation again with Kettle specifically about what she's reading around the fire. And she says that it is the writings of Cabal the White, a prophet and seer of Kimala, Tai?
0: Times Kimmel land. I have Kim land no times.
1: I, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs>
0: Kimo Allen.
1: No, Kimo Allen times, <laughs> whatever times they were. We don't know when they fall in the timeline because we don't really have a strong history for this no, world. There's no, so. I
0: have no idea what that even means. Like where to place that, how far, how long ago it was.
1: Pretty like, sure it's South more so. Cause Specifically mentions, well, I mean, I guess the six duchies are pretty far north, so a lot of things are south. Right. But specifically they mention that through his guidance, Cabal the White, that a treaty was wrought that put an end to a hundred years of war and enabled three folks to become one people. Knowledge was shared and a bunch of food was shared. Ginger, for instance. Yes.
0: But ginger is used in Buckkeep regularly to spice their food. Yeah. yeah, So maybe it was
1: in the Here, area?
0: I don't know. Unknown.
1: Yeah, it's but not. Interesting. Honestly, not even you speculating where that was yep. <laughs> because we have no clue. I just know that there is ginger and bucky. But the <laughs> That doesn't mean anything. Right. The interesting part though is the second part that she brings up about this. Cuz Fitz asks, "One man did that?" And she says, "One man or two perhaps if you count the general he persuaded to conquer without destroying." Here he speaks of him. A catalyst was Dar-Ales for his time, a changer of hearts and lives. He came not to be hero, but to enable the hero in others. He came not to fulfill prophecies, but to open the door to new futures. Such is ever the task of the catalyst. Above, he has written that it is in every one of us to be a catalyst in our own time. What do you think of that, Tom? I'd rather be a shepherd, I answered her truthfully. Catalyst was not a word I cherished. And I thought that that paragraph was extremely interesting because we know Fitz is the catalyst, at least one of the catalysts for the Fool. Right. For Beloved. And specifically the description, he came not to be a hero, but to enable the hero in others. And he came not to fulfill prophecies, but to open the door to new futures. And the Fool always mentions that you are how I can choose a new future. Like right. you are the crux. Everything goes into you and you have a bunch of other opportunities coming out of you because you're not supposed to be alive. Right. Like You're like my super catalyst.
0: <laughs> also, I'd like to point out that Fitz isn't really a hero.
1: No, he's not.
0: He does a lot of heroic things, but like in all the events, like on Antler Island, that's more just the victory of Verity's ships for the first time.
1: I think that's the only, actually, Antler Island Maybe the, is only, the time. only time that he's viewed as a okay. hero, specifically through Starling's singing of that song. Fair, fair. All the other times, yes, it's, he might be mentioned, right. but it's more the so. The Ketrickin
0: battle, like he helped facilitate that, but Ketrickin is a star. She becomes the hero of that battle. And
1: she deserves that. I mean that, she that for sure after. does.
0: I'm just saying like yes,
1: it's overshadowed he facilitated in every, it. Every yeah. single way.
0: And there's also the, the
1: end of this trilogy. The end of this trilogy <laughs> where
0: Verity is the hero of everything. Verity gets all of the credit which Verity does deserve a lot of the credit. He's doing they, a big thing.
1: They also agree for Starling not to write him in. Right. Because he is not supposed to be alive and it would be Verity's victory would be shadowed over with Fitz being a part of it because Fitz was still supposed to be reviled and dead and witted and all that sort of thing. So he's either written out or excluded or overshadowed in all of the events that he takes part in. Yeah. Because he's the catalyst and not the hero.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting just thinking about like different events in his life and how. Sure, he plays a big part in every single one of those events, but none of them are remembered as his events. I guess, except Antler Island. I was thinking Antler Island was the battle with Ketrickin at first, and then I realized as I started saying that it is not.
1: But Right, yeah. That's the only time, I think, in only Starling's singing of the song. Right.
0: Otherwise, it's just a battle that happened.
1: Yeah.
0: It's, It's really interesting to think about. But I also wonder why Fitz doesn't think about the fool at all this chapter. Oh my
1: gosh. This is some of the stuff that just infuriates me about Fitz because it's so obvious to us. But at the same time, he is so preoccupied with Molly and his daughter at this moment and just getting safely across the river and the come to me and everything like that. Right. He's not even thinking, he hasn't thought of the fool forever.
0: It just is frustrating because the fool literally told him, I am a prophet. And you and, are my catalyst. And in the South, people believe me to be able right. to tell the tr- the future. Right. Yeah. And you're my catalyst. And he's like sitting here in kettle oh, for I've like never two heard days. Of that. Yeah. She's like, oh, there's the white prophets. They tell the future and have catalysts. And he's like, Weird. Never heard of it. That's yeah. <laughs> what? Fitz. Yes, you have. You had a whole like mental breakdown about it. Like last book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Haven't heard of it. Get it through your thick skull. (laughs) Well, we'll have more mental breakdowns with (laughs) about that in the future. That's true. The last part of this chapter is just him trying to skill dream out to Molly and peek in there, but instead he gets captured in another fight along the buck coast with the red ship Raiders. He's following along with a boy who has lost all of his family But gets revenge on a raider ship by setting it afire. Right. And he can feel uh, commiseration. He feels the empathy with that young boy and felt his bitter triumph. He had nothing left, no family, no home, but he had spilled some of the blood that had spilled his. I understood the tears that wet his grinning face only too well is a sad way to leave off a chapter (laughs) right we have a lot of introspection in this chapter and a lot a lot of exposition about the prophets and about how mysterious kettle is
0: (laughs) right right i mean first of all where did she even get the scroll that is the journal of a white prophet aren't those all in claris like locked up
1: it could be a copy but yes
0: like that's what I'm thinking about this whole time. And like who is selling these scrolls? Why does she have so many of them? How
1: I'm I'm assuming that she went down to Jamalia because remember one of the previous satraps took a very keen interest right. in the white prophets. And I'm assuming that there are other cultures as well. Cause she, well, she's she's yeah, probably the most well traveled person that we meet. Right. Cause she stayed away from you know, the six duchies for at least a hundred (laughs) years, right? probably close to 150 to 200 years.
0: Well, and it's not like the white prophets only come to Buck.
1: Right. No. Yeah.
0: I mean, or the six duchies in general, this area, this isn't the only place a white prophet could go to change the world, Mm -hmm. but it's just really interesting to hear. And Fitz is like, okay, she just, has a weird collection. Nothing weird about this, that she has this extensive collection. Right. Oh, fits. I wish he paid he more attention more to things. Interest, but, yeah. Yeah.
1: Any, anything about this, like if he's thinking for the future at all, I know he's not because he <laughs> thinks he's done after he's does this, he's going for right. Molly and his child and he's done with everything. But any inkling that he was going to go back and give Chade one more like report, He'd been so interested in this stuff right. and like, try to get as much information as possible. like, hey,
0: but. we need to connect with her so we can get some of those scrolls yeah. or get copies of the scrolls while he has it. And no.
1: Nope. None of it. <sighs> oh, well. That's where we're at in the story.
0: Yeah. It's. Uh, I love it. I feel like I've been really hard on Fitz this chapter and I love him. I think he's a great character. I think he is growing a lot, but there's still so much immaturity left. That he hasn't outgrown yeah, yet. Yeah,
1: he's only like twenty years old, so he's not twenty years old. Yes, I think he is about twenty right now.
0: Luke, are you kidding me right now? I'm Remember like three episodes yes, ago I do. when you I said
1: eighteen? <laughs> I said eighteen or nineteen. I think he's 20.
0: It's been a year he's from like, Molly. He's like twenty. If he was at 18 of this at trilogy. the start of this book. Let me
1: have this.
0: No, every time. <laughs> Remember what I said? Every time you had another year, next time it's going to be 20. Here we are.
1: Like <sighs> Fine. He's 19. Ugh, I don't know if I even agree with that, but it's whatever. I'll take it. He's like 21 at the end of this trilogy. Do you know I for a fact think. 21 is the number? It's either 20 or 21.
0: Okay. So he can't be 20 now.
1: That's <laughs> all I'm going to say. What? You think there's more than a year that passes?
0: I think he was 18 when this book started.
1: <laughs> mm, I don't know. I'll stick with 19 then. Fine. I'll give <laughs> Next time in.
0: it'll be 21. Everybody just wait.
1: It will be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe it'll be 25. Who we'll knows? We'll have the
1: same conversation <laughs> again. But I'll insist that I'm correct again. We all know. Until Emma corrects me. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to me talk about ages (laughs) and listening to Emma correct me about ages. (laughs) If you have any questions for us or any comments about these chapters or where the story is going or Fitz's maturity, please let us know at isfitzhappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly at isfitzhappy at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be monitoring, monitoring those and try to get back to you as soon as we can. Although we're both very iffy on when we respond to things. We try to answer them in the episodes, at least.
0: Yes, it's, yeah, we are both getting really behind. We've both been very busy as of late. And yes. so our outside life has been taking over some of our free time to be better about answering things on the pod. But it's not because we don't see them or don't like them. We appreciate all of them.
1: Yes. Hundred percent. We do read them even if we forget to answer for a week or two. So yes. thank you so much for everyone who has reached out to us. Thank you so, so much for everyone who has recommended this podcast or sent it out to friends, to people who like this series as well and read it. Remember, this is very spoiler heavy, so don't send it to people who are <laughs> not still all the way reading. through. Yes. yes. <laughs> But again, we really, really appreciate you guys reaching out to everyone. And as always, uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in, listening to us every week. Yeah. So thank you so much, and we'll uh, we'll hear from you and hope you tune in for next week as well.
0: All right, it's time for my favorite part of the show. To talk about what you guys have sent in to us. And we're going to start out today with the disappointing news that I missed a pun. (laughs) Yes. So on Instagram, we were messaged by Nicholas to let us know that we had said he takes what's rightfully his because he's royal. And
1: talking about regal.
0: Right. And it would have been a perfect opportunity to say because he's regal, not royal. And I am so sad this is. Yeah,
1: I think I was uh, specifically talking about that, but I'm not as quick as Emma is. At those.
0: So. <laughs> uh, you know, I just love dad jokes so I much. I missed my
1: opportunity. You, you know? did
0: to get one up on me. Yeah, Emma like a hundred million. Luke maybe two. That's
1: rude. <laughs> probably true (laughs) probably
0: so anyway thank you nicholas for letting us know what we have missed the disappointing news so sad but good to know i'll be on the lookout for an opportunity to use it later (laughs) (laughs) also i want to talk about some emails we got one from tyler talking about the relationship between Burek and Fitz and their similarities in drowning out sorrows and regrets.
1: Yes. How Biric uses alcohol as an escape for his and how he, you know, reduces the pain from those instances through right. alcohol and that substance. However, Fitz also numbs himself with literally getting rid of his emotions. Right. And wants to escape those in a different way. And with that opportunity presented in front of him, he can't help but do that. Right. And Tyler goes on to speculate here that if Fitz didn't have the skill to escape to and to reach out to and also you know a very dangerous way to also an addiction <laughs> <escape> yes <laughs> and an addiction but if he didn't have that he would probably have turned to drinking as well just following in Burek's footsteps there right
0: it's just another example of how similar they are and how Burek is basically Fitz's dad he's following in yeah. his father's footsteps so yeah. thank you Tyler for that perspective. And then we also got a really interesting email from Ellen about the chapter that we just talked about. And she asks a very important question that I have actually been wondering and totally forgot to bring up. So the question is, why is Fitz suddenly completely open and honest with Starling in a way he hasn't ever been with anyone before this, at least not without being chemically influenced in some way? Does he trust her? Is he tired of carrying it all alone? Or does Hob just need somebody to know? And she also goes on to say that she can see how, why Fitz would lower his guard because Starling is so personable. And
1: that's what she does. Like, yeah, that's this, her, like, literally her, her job.
0: And this <laughs> is Starling's like best outcome because she's getting more background information. But... Fitz seemed to have been growing and getting more cautious up to this point. So what do you think, Luke? Why now is he so loose-lipped?
1: I think it's a moment of weakness and he really just wants to say it out loud that Molly is my wife and I have a child kind of thing. Because in, in this text there, Hobb does write that Fitz feels a a moment of relief for that and just like a moment of pleasure saying it out loud right. and hearing that. But I also do like the last two of her points, one in character and in plot that Fitz has kept everything bottled up for so long that he needs to tell somebody like even the, you know, Verity's alive, Verity's doing this and and she has just gone over. I'm going to be sticking with you. Right. For a long time. She has not given him up to anybody. She's not betrayed him that he knows of or anything at this point. Right. Kind of upset at the whole wit thing, but, like, isn't everybody in his yeah. mind? <laughs> but also, the last point of Hob needed to him to tell somebody is a very important one because it does play a role in adding more tension and more stakes to what is happening between in their relationship. Right. Because you don't want Starling to... Get on the wrong side of Fitz now. You don't want them as enemies because she has all of this information. True. So it adds more stakes to the, the writing. And it makes it a little bit more real when they start having arguments later on in the in the book. So I think that it's in a good excuse right now, with the place that Fitz is in. Of
0: longing, of longing for longing and Molly. having
1: Yeah, and having a personal connection with somebody who's actually kind of concerned with you.
0: It is nice to him. I mean, Starling is nice in her own way. I know a lot of people have problems with her brusqueness, but I think that for the most part, she's one of the nicest people Fitz has met, especially on this journey. Yes. Besides
1: Harper, Josh,
0: (laughs) Harper, Josh is really kind, but
1: he's the MVP in my book.
0: (laughs) Harper, Josh is highly underrated. I agree. We should get fan t-shirts that are like, I stand Harper, Josh, (laughs) A little heart with a Harper in it. There you go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. So I think it's really frustrating. I also can't believe he's just so open.
1: Yes, he really it's, is. It's like floodgates flood get you know cracked and then it, right. the water rushes in and breaks everything else down. Right.
0: But to be fair, I mean, I've held stuff in before. And sometimes when you just start It's really hard to stop, especially when you've been holding it in for that
1: long. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, so maybe it's a little bit of that of just it has been a really long time since he's had somebody to confide in. He doesn't really have Chade anymore or Burek, and he couldn't really confide fully in Burek anyway. But he needs to tell someone. And probably it's a good way to defend himself against the onslaught of... I can't believe you did this to a woman. Right. And he's like, "Well, I can marry her. We're not married, but Verity <laughs> said we could, so." Right. You know, just yeah. very interesting thoughts.
1: And on the topic of people not liking <laughs> Starling's brusqueness a little bit.
0: Yes, I made the mistake apparently of saying Name someone more observant than Starling. I will wait. And you guys did not like that. So I apologize to <laughs> no, anyone apologize. on NBC. You well, like Starling? Like, I love Starling. Yeah. I don't agree with all of her actions. I think that there, she definitely has flaws, but I, especially right now where she we're at. She has
1: traumas that she's getting over as well. and yes. it, Just like every other character in this book. Yes. Wherever, don't agree with literally anybody's 100% actions in this right, book. So. Right.
0: So like where we're at with her right now, I love Starling. I think she's the best. But it was really funny that like I I think that's our most comment on commented on posts on Instagram where people are like the Ooh. fool and chain and like all these other people are way more observant. Yeah. And I'm like, True. yes, <laughs> yes, you're right. OK, I misspoke. There are a lot of equally talented obser- observers observers.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Equally talented yeah, observers. Sterling, here.
1: Sterling is very divisive in general. I, I have mixed feelings on her as well i i like her in these chapters and i think i've said that like when we first get introduced but i have severe issues with her later on i distinctly remember
0: not liking her in the tawny man trilogy and i don't think i even liked her in the final trilogy which is odd because now i'm reading these and i'm like yeah number starling's number one fan i love her Uh, so i'm sure my change my opinion will change and evolve yes.
1: but <laughs> i just thought it was funny that <laughs> it is very so many... funny that
0: everyone is like no starling's the worst we won't give her any credit and i love that thank you guys um <laughs> apologies if i offended you but just know i acknowledge
1: that you the... don't even need to apologize that's your opinion
0: <laughs> it it's is okay. my opinion and you know what i have a really bad habit of liking characters that people just on the whole seem to unanimously dislike don't know why I did not set out to do that I'm not trying to be <laughs> contrarian but I something about them I just really like yeah so yeah so I wanted to say I saw yes. I have learned no thank and you for
1: commenting on that thank it was you great for commenting. It was all, all the comments were hilarious actually yes like, very those. good it was great so.
0: so next time I make a pro Starling post I will be sure to go into it knowing you guys don't like her <laughs>
1: instead of being I'd be even more contrarian this oh next time.
0: yeah next time oh just you guys wait I'll make something big just kidding <laughs> probably not it won't be on
1: purpose I'm sure has anyone helped Fitz out even more than Starling <laughs> name one
0: <laughs> name one person more in Fitz's corner than Starling
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much everyone
0: <laughs> we'll see you guys next week and we look forward to seeing what you write in